0: Hello and welcome to the Investing on the Go podcast brought to you by Fund Calibre. I'm Darius McDermott and this evening we're joined by Job Curtis, who is the manager of the City of London Investment Trust, which is elite rated by Fund Calibre. Um, Job, good evening and thank you for coming and attending our special investment trust event. It's a pleasure. Good evening. So, look, we, we, we live in interesting times oh, yes. and um, we are pre election when this podcast is recorded. Do you have any uh, views on the election and
1: outcome for the stock market, or do you think it would carry on? On The UK stock market is predominantly in global companies, which are listed in the UK, maybe headquartered in the UK, but on a global reach. So, you know, it's of limited relevance to them. But obviously there's some 30% of the markets in domestic stocks will be more relevant for the domestic stocks. I mean, looking at the um, possible outcomes... You know, I think it has to be said a majority Labour government under Jeremy Corbyn would be a negative for the stock market. Certain sectors like utilities where yes. Labour's planning to nationalise <coughs> infrastructure
0: um, utilities, yeah. Absolutely but challenged. I think most
1: other outcomes, the stock market I mean there's so many different permutations, but um, the the main two outcomes being a conservative majority or some form of hung parliament. I mean it's a longer subject, but I think now uh, both those outcomes wouldn't be bad for the stock market. In fact, there could be some quite positive implications, but both different ways for those two outcomes. Yeah, and I suppose it's that
0: dual-purpose UK market. We've got your UK domestic and you've got your, your, your overseas earnings, which are big parts of the FTSE 100. Yes. But just sticking with um, politics and um, apart from our own fine election, we have a potential Brexit. Now, I appreciate... A Brexit outcome is predicated on who wins that election. Yes. But there's several outcomes. Have you any position you can take? which <clears> the <throat> currency is a moving part of yes. the Brexit outcome as we watch on a, on a daily yes. basis.
1: I mean, you're right. The pound tends to go up when some sort of deal in terms of breakfast is likely and then the converse when deal looks unlikely. But I think um, if breakfast is... Resolved, I think that would be good for the market overall because I think it's been a pile of uncertainty over the market and I think the market craves a bit more certainty, um, both for business investment and also for fund managers globally. The UK has been very out of faith. The stock market, I think, slightly irrationally, but they, I think they will gain a bit more confidence. Having said that, the withdrawal agreement... Being passed is only the first stage, then we have to negotiate some sort of trade deal. Well. Um, I think it's only the beginning of a process, but it will be an important staging post if it does get achieved. Or, you know. The alternative route, less likely but possible. You know, we go back and have another referendum, and you know, there's that whole application. But I think the, the stalemate we've had hasn't been particularly helpful. I think
0: that's the key thing, isn't it? It's the, it's the market uncertainty, the stalemate. Nobody knows which way we're going. Absolutely. I think with some certainty of left or right, <clears> and I don't think left is out and right is in, or, or, or vice versa. Yeah. It would be nice to have some clarity for, for, for stock pickers like yourself. Absolutely. Um, now, obviously, you're at UK equity. Income manager, what's your sort of longer term view for the UK stock market? How do you feel we look today, given the uncertain backdrop we've
1: come from? Well, I think there's some great value and offer. In particular, the stock market yields slightly over four percent. That means the dividend yield is over four percent. So, when you compare, you know, interest rates are still incredibly low in the UK at only point seven five banking the basically what you get in a cash ISO or what you get in fixed interest, I think the dividend yields attract. And we've got some great companies, we've got some real global leaders. And I think, you know, if some of those domestic issues a bit more assertive in the domestic economy, then you could see a sort of strong bounce in some of the domestic stocks within the UK stock market. So I'm pretty positive going forward, actually. And do you think that sort of domestic stock market might be a shorter term bounce? Some of those sort of
0: unloved UK domestic names, do you have many of those? Yeah, I have got
1: some. I mean, we're predominantly in the large multinational type companies, but, you know, one, I mean, the UK banks, I think, in a much better state than they were, Okay, obviously, than they were going back. And stocks like Lloyd's do respond very well on days when there's kind of more optimism on, on the kind of fiscal uncertainties. And the house builders is another sector I, I favour, and I've got some decent positions for stocks like Taylor Wimpy. I mean, are other areas are just structurally challenged, like retailing, where it's not just about domestic. It's yeah, it's, it's not structured. whether you're doing it, yeah. 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 I
0: mean, it was incredible, wasn't it? I think it was the 11th of October when there appeared there might be an outcome between the UK and the Irish government about the backstop. Yes. You'll remember it, I'm sure, because Royal Bank was up 13%, yes. was up 10 yes. And it was a real, ooh, the domestic side of the market going. And it was a sort of little reminder, I think, to all of us that... that part of the market still exists.
1: Absolutely. It really illustrates the potential in that part of the market and that there will be further gains to be made if if we do get more resolution.
0: Yeah. So look, I think something which I know you're extraordinarily proud of, but actually the dividend increased on the trust itself. You are, I know, in the list of dividend champions at the AIC, which is the Association for Investment Companies. You've managed to increased, not necessarily just you, I might add, Joe, for 53 years. Um, Tell our listeners about how that happens and when from time to time you need to use (coughs) reserves, something that the investment trust structure allows that the open-ended doesn't.
1: Absolutely. It's a very important point. I mean, we have at the core of our portfolio quality companies that are able to consistently grow their dividends. But in difficult markets, you do get dividend cuts. and. It's inevitable then that you know, your the earnings for the fund might might dip. And that did occur Has occurred. I've managed the fund twenty-eight years and in seven of the twenty-eight years I've had to we've had to dip into the revenue reserve and how this works is that in the good years as an investment trust we can hold back a little bit of the income up to fifteen percent. We might hold back say five, six percent, put yeah. that in our revenue reserve, and then in the difficult years, say seven difficult years during my period for income, we can dip into that reserve. So for consistent dividend growth, I mean, 53 years is the longest record of any investment trust or, or fund in the Incredible, UK, really. and um, it, it is, and we're very proud of it. But we could only have achieved that through the investment trust structure, but having that revenue reserve, which currently is about 83% of the annual cost of dividends, so, you know... We'll, so, we'll, if you, we'll, you had no income at all, you could almost cover next yes, year's dividend. I mean, we'll I know it never be income. that extreme, <laughs> but it certainly tied the sabre for a few years, you know, in, and, you know, but I'm sure there'll be periods going in the future when we will need it again. And it's inevitable the way the business cycle to lock us out. Of course. Now, another key
0: differentiator between open
1: and closed ended income
0: funds, or in fact, any closed and open ended fund, is the ability of um, the investment trust to actually borrow money, which is called gearing. Yes. Um, how um, are you, are you structurally geared? Are you permanently geared? <coughs> or do you use it when really ripe, juicy opportunities come along? And where are you today?
1: Well, we're, we run the trust and fairly conservative manner. But a small amount of gearing, or gearing will help in a rising market, will enhance the asset value. And, um, and we have got some fixed-rate borrowings. Um, we've got one borrowing going up to 2049. We're paying an interest rate of 2.94%. We're pretty confident that our portfolio will build, build, beat that return per annum. Over that period. So, our gearing on our fixed rate borrowings in total is around 8% currently. Um, but in addition, we, and that's strategic, we can negate that effect of gearing through derivatives if we want to. But basically, that, that is um, long term strategic borrowing. And then we have the ability to borrow short term uh, through a bank facility of on about £120 million, which we pay a very low rate of interest on. At the moment that's largely unutilised, and that's. When well, was the last
0: time? To that, so to, to <clears throat> what you described initially was sort of a structural gearing around that eight yes. percent level. But when was the last time you tactically <clears throat> were so um, enamoured of the UK market or yes. your opportunity set? You thought, I want to just dial it up a little, whilst yes. appreciating that this is, of course, a conservative trust. <clears throat>
1: yes. Well, in general, when the market's in its weak periods, we tend to use more gearing, and it really comes back to sort. Buy low, sell high approach, and yeah. and when the, and often in the weaker periods of the market, um, there may be issues around, but but there's greater value in terms of stock prices. So, you know, going back, we've had I mean the, the highest gearing we had was in two thousand and three, at the bottom of um, that. Bear market, as we call it, the way, exactly, yeah, and we got up to about seventeen percent gearing. That's the maximum we've been in my twenty-eight years. I mean, we we say we won't go any higher than twenty percent, the absolute maximum. But typically, the range is kind of six to twelve percent would be more typical of our range. Probably. And <clears throat> with your investment
0: trust structure, another differentiator to open end it is the fact that you have an independent board to to liaise with, to give oversight and um, I know you have regular meetings could you give us just a a little soundbite or an overview of some of the sort of discussions you have with the board and whether they challenge
1: you on something or whether well, they support you? or how, how does that work? I mean, it's, it's such a good point you make because it's a very important advantage of investment trusts. It's independent board of recs gives you an extra layer of oversight. We have eight formal board meetings a year. and then in addition, quite a few then, actually. Yes, right? and I speak to the chairman on the phone every two weeks so, and they really question the overall strategy they're not trying to second guess you on your oh, stocks, stock, take, no. stock picking but the overall strategy Like for example the gearing we've just been talking about something you would discuss with them and your overall allocation between different sectors um, etc and you know they monitor how the revenue we have each, each board meeting we talk we update them on how the revenue for the year is going so it is it's an incredibly valuable part of the investment trust structure and I think a great advantage for the investors. Do do you ever have
0: pushback from the board? Has it been an occasion where you thought, oh, they're really disagreeing, whether it be about gearing or, you know, occasionally you might want to, do you ever buy an overseas company or anything? Yes, we've
1: got about 10% in the overseas listed, which has been a successful part. We'd never go higher than 20%. But no, the board do challenge me and I think that's really healthy. I mean, I think it's really, I get challenged in the office By colleagues and I really enjoy it. I I don't like working from home, I like going into the office and uh, never work from home really and um, and the board has similarly challenged me and that's, as a fund manager it's incredibly important, you've got to have people putting the other point of view to you um, so you can see the the angles you might have missed. Job, thank you very much.
0: I'm Darius McDermott and if you'd like more information on the elite rated City of London Investment Trust or more information on the investing on the Go podcast please subscribe to fundcaliber.com. please remember we've been discussing individual stocks to bring investing to life for you it is not a recommendation to buy or sell the fund may or may not still hold these stocks at the time of listening